0: They gave me the drive through mic today. Always makes me want to say, do you want fries with that? <laughs> I also, there's an issue here, I hope it doesn't fall off. I have little tiny ears. So uh, it doesn't want to stay on my ear, but uh, hopefully, it'll, hopefully it'll stay there, yeah. You probably don't really want to hear my voice right now. I sound a little bit like a 13-year-old boy, especially when, <laughs> when I try to speak loud. So everything's cracking. Uh, but I'm here, and I feel fine. I just don't sound great. Uh, if, you can, if you can handle it, I can handle it. So uh, do you have any questions for me this morning? I am going to talk about the crown of life. I was already asked that one, just briefly, but I am going to talk about it. Any other questions? Yeah, and what does he mean by the perfect law which gives freedom? And I will talk about that as well. Anything else? Look, I'm going to, I got smart from last. Oh, but the mic didn't, there, it came back on, good, good. Okay, well, let's pray and we'll get started. Father God, thank you so much for today. Uh, Thank you so much for your word. Golly, there's so much in this part of James. Um, Just, I was just overwhelmed with it as I was reading through it, and Father, I just pray that, that um, my words would be your words, Father, that, 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 What we would glean from your word today would be exactly what you want us to glean. I thank you and praise you for the depth and the riches of your word, and particularly this portion of James 1. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this passage, in this first passage that we're going to look at today, James returns to the topic of trials. Oh, I didn't want to do that. Okay, we're good. We're there. If you remember, beginning in uh, verse 2 of James 1, he says, okay, just right out of the box in the in the letter, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then he goes on to talk about some other things, like wisdom and that. But now in verse... Um, in verse 12 he's going to come back to that and say blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So you see a number of repeated words in these verses. You see the word test and the word trial and the word persevere. And as we talked about last week that word trial means any unexpected any unwelcome difficulty, it can be an illness or financial difficulty or grief or persecution, anything that has the potential to draw us away from Christ or threaten our faithfulness, our single-minded devotion, as uh, James called it, to Christ. Uh, anything that would turn us from a single-minded follower of Christ to a double-minded Woman. But there is a new thought here in verse 12 where there is is a reward he speaks about for that perseverance, for that standing the test. Um, That perseverance brings blessing. Those who persevere are the recipients of God's favor, not just eventually, not just in eternity. Yes, that's true. But that begins now. That favor is also now. As well as future, and he says they will receive the crown of life. Now, I'm not going to say that that's not a crown because I love the hymn that we cast our crowns before Him, and maybe it, it, we'll find out. SCS <laughs> Liz says, "Of course, you know we'll we'll find out if that really is um, a crown that we will receive." But I don't think the crown is the point. Although my daughter, who thinks she is Cinderella, The Marines called yesterday, by the way. The Marines called for Katie. (laughs) Those, I know. That's exactly my reaction. And I said, oh, sir, um, my daughter is not marine material. And he said, why not? And I wanted so badly to say, because she thinks she's Cinderella, okay? She's not, you think Private Benjamin was bad. Listen to me, this child cannot be a marine. I, I convinced him. I said, call back in four years for a younger brother. But, um, but anyway, uh, so this crown may, may indeed be a real crown, but I think the point that James is making is not the crown. It is the crown. The crown is eternal life. The crown of life is eternal life, Um, and our eternal life is the reward. And that, again, is something that begins now. When we trust Christ, we know from from then on we will live eternally with Jesus. Uh, and, And the Bible tells us that he chose us before the formation of the world. So that isn't a someday thing. That is something that begins now. Uh, now, James' purpose in, in verse 12 here is to encourage his readers to, to endure faithfully um, the trials that they are, are um, enduring. And, and in doing so, we are following Jesus' example in doing this. One of my favorite passages, in fact, Pastor Jeff used it in the sermon this week. Oh, where did that come from? Thank you. <laughs> That just popped up. I'm not using that this week. That was not my slide. Thank you for fixing that, Angela. Um, from Hebrews 12, and you'll remember this if you were in Hebrews last year, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Even Jesus set the joy of our salvation before him as he went to the cross. And much like that, we have a joy too that is set before us. We have the hope of heaven um, set before us. And so let us consider that hope, that reward, that crown of life, so we don't grow weary and lose heart. So this, this verse 12, I'm gonna read it again along with uh, verse, ver, through verse 15, because it's a hinge verse. It's, it's looking backward and it's looking forward. So we'll start again with 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. May I just say that the grammatical inconsistency in that, I know it makes it not sexist, but it's grammatically inconsistent and it bothers me. But I've, I've got that off my chest now. So it's when each person, they, no. But that's, that's the way the duet of reads so that's the way we'll read it. Um, That word, test, uh, we talked about last week. In the Greek, it's this word. And that word, tempt, um, when tempted, same word. So when he has stood the test, parasmos. When tempted, parasmos. It can mean either test or tempt, um, depending on the context. Uh, And it's the same word in verse 12 as is in verse 13. It's translated test in verse 12. It is translated tempt or tempted. So this is a verbal link that we've talked about before with James where he'll take one word and then he goes on to a new uh, passage and he uses that word again. But it's more than that here because tests or trials can lead to temptation. When we face trials, we are often also tempted. Tempted. When we face financial difficulty, we may think, you know, if I just put this down on the tax sheet, maybe I'd get more money back. Or if I just followed this red herring, if I just followed this get rich quick scheme. Or when we're facing trials in our marriage, we may think, you know, we may be tempted to, to get that need for relationship filled elsewhere. Or when we face loss of any kind, we may be tempted. To turn from God. And so those trials do bring temptation with them. But but I think that James is saying more here. Where it says in this NIV where it says when tempted no one should say God is tempting me. I I believe a better translation. Not me. I I don't know Greek. But based on what I've read. um, I believe a better translation of that would be never when you are put to the test say that God is tempting me. Um, or when you face temptation due to trials, never say that God is tempting me. God does test his people, but he does not ever tempt them. So what's the difference then between testing and tempting? First, let me say that not I do not believe that all trials are tests from God. I, I do believe in a sovereign God, but but I think sometimes it can make us feel like God is um, some sort of evil dictator when we think, why would God do this to me and, and have this test? So, uh, But I do believe that God can use and God can bring good from anything, um, and, and I've seen that over and over again. But God does, in fact, we see it throughout Scripture, test his people, but that's different than tempting. The purpose of... Of testing that God either brings or allows is to grow us in our faith to make us more like Jesus testing always has a building growing positive purpose he's never saying I'll get you now he's always saying I want to conform you he's lovingly saying I want to conform you into the image of my son the purpose of temptation, though, is to is, is to tear down our faith, to turn us away from God. Now, we might be tempted to say that that... Do you see what I did there? We might be tempted to say that that temptation comes from Satan. Um, and while actually James is going to bring that point up again in uh, in James and, and say that, that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying, you know, The devil made me do it. He is saying that uh, he lays the responsibility for our giving into temptation squarely at our own feet. Our sin is our responsibility. Uh, When we choose to give into temptation, that is our responsibility. We are responsible for our own actions. That's something we all teach our children and sometimes something that we need to learn ourselves. So it is our very sin nature that causes us to be tempted. Satan may entice us, he may set some sort of bait, but we bear responsibility for our own sin. And and James uses a metaphor here, uh, and he uses actually two metaphors, one of fishing, so kind of setting that bait, and one of trapping, being dragged off um, and dragged away. Um, And and the temptation may lure us, but we're always the ones that choose to bite. We're always the one that chooses to take the bait. And all of this, in all of this, James very graphically illustrates the destructiveness of sin. It is not harmless. Sin is not harmless. There is no such thing as victimless sin. Sin is leads to death. Romans 6.23 teaches us the same thing. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it starts with desire, evil desire. Not all desire is evil. There are good desires as well. Um, But when it is evil desire, and when we nurture that desire when we don't turn away from it and say, no, I'm not going to do that, when we begin to nurture it uh, and massage it, it eventually gives birth to sin, which gives birth to death. Before I, I taught adults, Um, I taught teenagers. I led an FCA for a number of years. About the time that I realized I was no longer reffing the wrestling matches on the floor and going, don't get hurt, or uh, all of my illustrations came from changing diapers, I realized it was time for me to move from teaching teenagers to teaching adults. But um, one of the things that we would always talk about fairly frequently was sexual temptation. And the question that those kids always asked is the wrong question. And the question they asked is, how far is too far. So in other words, how close can I get to this fire before actually getting burned? I have some experience with this because as a very young child, this is a very early memory, so I maybe was four, my mother told me that the cigarette lighter in the car was never to be used because it got very hot. So don't ever touch that. Well, I'm Amy. So I was like, I gotta find out and so one time when she wasn't looking I pressed that thing in it popped out I saw it was all red and I went like this oh yeah that was hot oh boy that was hot and that was the first and last time I ever did that because I wanted to know just really how close can I get to this thing and that's the wrong question for us to ask and and sometimes even as adults um, I think that we, ask, we do that same sort of thing. We convince ourselves that whatever it is that we're doing or whatever it is we're considering doing is really not that bad because, you know, really, it's only lunch with this coworker to whom I'm attracted. It's not really wrong for me to watch this because, well, after all, I am an adult, and it's not going to affect me in any way. I'm going to be straight-up honest with you. I've never admitted this, certainly not on the Internet. There are certain songs that I cannot listen to because they remind me of a relationship from a long, long time ago. I've been married for 27 years, so obviously it's a long time ago. And that, those songs take me back to that time and that relationship, and that's not good for my marriage. In fact, I might go so far as to say that that's in some sense a breaking of my marriage vows. Ladies, I love my husband. I have a wonderful husband, and I love Jesus. I can't go there. I can't allow myself to be tempted to think about those things. So I just don't. This is what Dr. Doug Moose says. He says, Temptation will be part of our experience, as it was the experience of the Lord Himself throughout our time on earth. Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation, but by the infrequency of succumbing to temptation. We will be tempted, it's not sin. To be tempted it is sin to succumb to it however so god does not tempt us and now james is going to give us a contrast what does god do if that's what he doesn't do then what does he do don't be deceived my dear brothers and sisters every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So he starts with these words do not be deceived. And that actually looks backward and forward. Do not be deceived about temptation. Temptation is dangerous and you are responsible for your own response to that temptation. Do not be deceived about that. But he's also saying do not be deceived about God. God doesn't tempt. God gives good gifts to his people people Now in verses 16 through 18, uh, Paul, Paul, James has um, three purposes. First is to bring us back to this idea idea of singleness of intent. You remember in verse 5 where God gives wisdom generously. We talked about how what that actually means is he gives wisdom with a single intent. He is single-minded in his giving of wisdom. And he is also now single-minded in giving his people all good gifts every good gift is from a good god Uh, he is the one that gave it to us the secondly as i already alluded to is to provide a contrast between what god does not do he does not tempt with what he does do he gives good gifts to his people and then the third thing is to introduce this word word that's the word the word is word and it is a theme that will continue um, through the rest of the chapter. Uh, what, one of the things I found really interesting about this is James refers to God as the Father of the heavenly lights. Um, whenever God is called Father, it is often referring to his role as creator. And the heavenly lights are the universe, the stars and the heavens. And so what James is telling us here, what James is, is calling God is the father of the universe the creator of the universe the king of the universe most jewish prayers begin with the words blessed art thou O lord our god king of the universe i love that and so james is reminding us that this giver of good gifts is the creator of everything the creator of all good things also gives those good things to us but that god He doesn't change. The universe changes. The moon changes. The stars change. The universe is constantly in motion, sometimes chaotic motion. But our creator is unchanging. He does not change, and there is no shadow in him. There is only light. And this same good God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. One of those gifts that God gives us is our birth through the word of truth. But then what birth is in view here? Is he talking about our physical birth, that we were born on this earth? Is he talking about our spiritual birth, our salvation? Well, both are gifts from God, obviously. But I think because he says that we were born through the word of truth, what he has in mind here is our spiritual birth, our salvation. So what then would be the word of truth? If we're born through the word of truth what would that be? The word of truth is the instrument through which God brings his people to life spiritually. In the New Testament, where that that phrase is used, the word of truth, it always refers to the gospel. Paul also uses that phrase. It always refers to the gospel. So if you think back to me, to Ephesians, we are saved by grace through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is what Saves us. That is the word of truth. That is how God causes us to be reborn spiritually, and surely that is the greatest of the good gifts that God gives to us. So these verses, uh, beginning. At the beginning, verse 2 that we talked about last week through 18. That's kind of the opening section. And so we're gonna take a little turn here, even though there's still some connections with that opening section. And this next section of James is gonna go from verse 19 of chapter 1 to James 2:26. And it's all gonna be about obedience um, and the importance of obedience and obedience as as evidence of spiritual wholeness that if we are single-minded women not double-minded women we will obey that that is evidenced in our obedience and there are the, some three key words that will take us through this passage all the way uh, through 226 which we won't get to for a couple of weeks are word the word word again that was just introduced the word law that we'll be talking about later on today and works so word, law, and works. Now, how does this tie to what we just read in, in James 1, 2 through 18? In that passage, James's main concern was that believers facing trials would live with steadfast endurance and unwavering faith. As you face the trials you are facing, he wants you to live with steadfast endurance and unwavering faith. James's main concern, beginning here at 119 and continuing through to 226, is obedience. Endurance and faith are expressed in obedience. If we endure, if we are to endure, if we are to have unwavering faith, not only must we obey, we will obey um, God's word. And he begins by talking about our speech and how we speak to one another in verses 19 and 20. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Whenever Paul, Paul, why am I doing that? Whenever James uses the word, uh, the phrase, my dear brothers or my dear brothers and sisters, Um, he's indicating that he's starting a new section. And he does that a number of times. So he's starting a new section here. He's announcing a new topic. And the topic here at the beginning of this section is speech. And it may be that speech was a particular problem for the people he was sending these letters to. I mean, pick a a group of Christians, any group of Christians, seriously. You know, speech is going to be an issue. At least I, I know it is to me. I know that surprises you. I like to talk. Um, It's a big surprise, you know. My husband would be like, yeah, um, you do. Uh, I heard a story about a man, um, actually the founder of Royal Family Kids Camp, he's a wonderful man, and uh, Wayne Tesh, and he loves to talk too. And he said his son once said to him, Dad, words really taste good in your mouth, don't they? (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of me too. And, and James will pick up on this again, and so we'll pick up on this again. So we're not going to spend a lot of time right here. But this sounds very much like a proverb. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And in fact, Proverbs says, is, is filled with wisdom about our speech and says many very similar things. In Proverbs 17, it says, Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent. Isn't that good? Uh, And also in Proverbs 17, A man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even-tempered. So the implication both here and in Proverbs is that the quick-tempered person is likely to speak without careful consideration, is likely to speak rashly, and then therefore sinfully. I've heard it said that the reason God gave us two ears and one mouth is that we should listen twice as much as we speak. Uh, I wish I took that advice more often. And, And he connects our speech with our anger, which is really very true. And anger is an emotion, and we are emotional beings. And, and while not sinful in themselves, emotions make really horrible masters. When we allow, allow our emotion to lead us instead of the Spirit of God, we get into all kinds of trouble. This is what uh, Dr. Moose says about this. He says, Emotions are the product of the entire person. Actually, this may be Dr. Nystrom. Emotions are the product of the entire person, and by God's grace and the work of the Spirit, the person can be transformed so as to bring emotions into line with God's word and God's will. That's what I want for my life. That I am so in tune with who God is that I live from the spirit and not from my emotions. Now, now James tells us why is it that we are to be slow to anger. And it has to do with this righteousness of God because it doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, the righteousness of God... Um, it, it, uh, the righteousness of God can have a number of meanings. It can mean um, the righteousness that God possesses. It can mean the righteousness that God gives. Whatever the meaning here, James' intent is clear. The point he is making is clear. Human anger does not produce behavior that is pleasing to God. Now, anger is not always sin. There is such a thing as righteous anger, but it's pretty rare. The vast majority of human anger is decidedly unrighteous. And the truth is that when we are quick to become angry, we are usually just as quick to say something we shouldn't say um, and, and, and sin with our mouths. Uh, And again, we will come back to that again because James will come back to that again. But now he's going to say, do not merely listen to God's word, that there's more to God's word than just knowing it or hearing it. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you the gospel. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So this begins with the word therefore, which means it's connected to something. And it's probably not connected to to what he just said about speech, you probably have to go back to verse 18, where it says that God chose to give us birth through the Spirit, and then therefore. So what he's saying is, because God has saved us, then we should get rid of everything sinful. We should not live in our sin. And he uses very vivid language to talk about how detestable sin is. Moral filth. Filth is a strong word. It was used a lot by my mother about my bedroom. Uh, filth is a strong word or prevalent evil. The evil that is so prevalent. And he uses this teaching, and this is a common New Testament teaching, to get rid of. It actually means put off. And it's a word picture for taking off clothes and putting off clothes. Paul uses this same teaching. And so what he's saying is to take off the filthy rags of sinfulness and put on the new clothes of righteousness. Well, how do we do that? We do that by humbly accepting the word, by receiving and living out the gospel in humility. This isn't some list of do's and don'ts, do this and do this and stay away from that and stay away from that. It is, in fact. The supernatural outcome of a life that has been made new in Christ. A life that is lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. So James tells us, just do it. He says that acceptance of the word means to do it. That, that if we have truly accepted it, we will live it out. Of course we're supposed to listen to God's word. It's what you're doing right now. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there should be something more than that. Because faith isn't something that is merely believed. Faith is lived. Faith is something that is lived out in our lives. If we have access to the Word of God, and we do, and if we have hearts that have been changed by the Spirit, we will obey God's Word. Not perfectly. None of us can. But that will be our desire. Listening must lead to doing. Listening in itself doesn't do us much good. It must lead to doing. Um. And so then, then this metaphor in 22 through 25 where he talks about, he contrasts the person who looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he sees and the person who looks intently into the mirror of God's word and remembers, does not forget, and how that leads to blessing. You know, how odd would it be if we looked at ourselves in the mirror and walked away and, and just totally forgot what we looked like? I would like to do that. Uh, and there are times when I've woken up and I've gotten uh, up and looked in the mirror and, and said out loud, and who are you? <laughs> uh, but that would be odd, wouldn't it? It'd be like my, my son's goldfish that um, lived to be approximately, it was like Methuselah in goldfish years, I just have to tell you. He lived like for seven years. I was so ready for that fish to die. Oh, my goodness, cleaning that fish tank for like seven years. And I read once that a goldfish has a, has a memory span of like four seconds. And so we used to joke that he'd swim around the bowl and go, oh, look, a nice boy. Oh look, a nice boy. Oh look, and and that's what that's what James is saying is how weird would that be, to just forget, what you've seen and what you've heard, um, kind of like Dory, but the one who looks into the mirror of God's word, what what James calls God's perfect law, and doesn't forget, that person receives blessing. Now, what does he mean by this perfect law? Because it seems kind of weird to put this word law in here all of a sudden and James kind of has that rap for being all about law it's not the law of Moses certainly uh, particularly not the ceremonial law uh, in the Old Testament but rather Paul uses a similar phrase um, where he talks about the law of Christ and I think that's exactly what James is talking about here it's synonymous to the word of truth It's the gospel. It is the gospel that gives freedom. It is the gospel that gives life. It is the gospel that is the word of truth. And the gospel of Christ is not devoid of commands. You're going to find a bunch of commands in the New Testament. The thing is, is that those commands are not to be done in order to win God's favor. Those commands are done out of a heart that is grateful for having already been given God's favor undeserved. Um, not in order to attain salvation, but out of gratitude for having been given it. And the result of living this life of obedience is blessing, both now and into eternity. Well, the last two verses we will come back to, and I will have you actually come back to it. Um, It's not moving, Angela. Okay. Okay, that's okay, because I have a Bible. I I have a bunch of them. And I have my reading glasses on top of my head. That's kind of why I do that. Okay, don't fall off the stage, Amy, because that would be embarrassing. Um, so, and I would love to spend a lot of time on this. You're actually going to spend quite a bit of time on it in your reflection week this week um, b- because um, it's, it's very important. But This is what the last two verses say. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So to keep a tight rein, it's kind of a a picture of a horse with a a bit and a bridle uh, in his mouth, and keep a tight rein. And he he will return to this idea, and so will we. Um, So I don't want to say a lot about it now, but man, we can do a lot of damage with our mouths, can't we? Do a lot of damage with our tongues and and in those loose cannon moments we can do tremendous damage to our witness and even more tragically to the cause of Christ Uh, I came across this gem just one little sentence from David Nystrom and this just rocked my world he says this we need to protect the dignity of others in the realms of both public and private discourse what would I say differently, or not at all, if my concern was the dignity of the person to whom I was speaking? How would I reprimand my children if my concern was for their dignity? How often would I choose to gossip if my concern was both for the dignity of the person about whom I'm speaking and the dignity to who, of the person to whom I am speaking? we need to be concerned for the dignity of the people to whom we are speaking. May the Holy Spirit so guide our own speech. And then he talks about widows and orphans. And and throughout the Old and New Testaments, widows and orphans are emblematic of those who are in need of care, those for whom we should be caring, those who are vulnerable and needy. And anyone who has spent more than about one uh, lesson in my class, we've gotten three into it and I've already mentioned Royal Family Kids Camp and I may have mentioned it before this uh, and track camps, knows that my heart beats particularly for foster children who are in fact orphans in a way. And the whole gospel um, is, is uh, Well, let's talk about this instead. I read a book uh, some time ago called The Hole in Our Gospel by by Richard Stearns, who's uh, the president of World Vision. And he talks about how the church for many years has been so concerned about the spread of the gospel in terms of salvation that we lost our concern of caring for people's physical needs. On the other side of the coin, I, I read a blog recently. Now, it was about Bono, and I love Bono, so don't get me wrong here. And I don't think Bono would approve of this title, but the title of the blog was Bono preaches the gospel of social justice. Ladies, that's no gospel. There's one gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that people would be saved, that people would come to know him in a real and intimate way. And those people would be so changed that they would begin to care for one another. That that social justice is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we ignore it, there's a hole in our gospel. We don't want a hole in our gospel. We want a whole, W-H-O-L-E, gospel where we care for those who are in need. We need to be people that are about that. We must both preach the truth of the gospel of Christ and live it by caring for those in need. By sharing generously of the riches and ladies in the United States, that is exactly what they are. The riches with, it, with which we have been blessed for others who are in need. Well, I want to finish up. We're, we're just about out of time. Is this going to work, Mandy? Or yeah, by, by faith, it's going to work? Okay. I just want to give you a little time. And, and I want to I connect two verses with you. Oh, it's all gone. Okay. Um, so I want to connect two verses with you verse 17 and verse 25 Um, and and just give you some time to reflect on the goodness of God verse 17 in uh, chapter 1 says this it says um, every good and perfect gift is from the father is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And then verse 25 says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. James tells us not to forget what we have heard in the word of God. We are to remember it. And surely one of the things that we are to remember the most is the goodness of our God is how good he has been to us. Remembering the good gifts that God has given to us um, can help us remember his faithfulness and his goodness and can be particularly helpful in times of trial, in times of of difficulty because it is in this very remembering of the goodness of god the goodness of god to us in our salvation in his provision for us in our relationships in in um, the beauty of the world around us that we realize that god is good and god is faithful he always has been and he always will be regardless of my circumstance so what i want to do is just give you a couple minutes some time and space set everything down um, and listen, because I want you to hear um, one of, a particular favorite song of mine about how good God has been to us, and remember that. And as you do, this song always causes me to remember the many, many ways that God has been good to me. And as you listen, I would love for you to think about those many ways that God has been good to you too. Here's a song.
1: The rainbow or share another laugh with a friend if I never stand barefoot by the ocean or get to kiss my child good night again if I never have another prayer that's answered. Have another blessing come my way. If this is all I know of heaven's kindness, Father, I would still
2: have to say.
0: God as I stand up here I don't know a whole lot but I know two things there are women in this room for whom my heart is breaking that know things of trials that I know nothing Father I also know that you are good and you are the God who provides and you are faithful and as I look back over my lifetime the evidence is clear that you are a good God Father may you comfort us with that today and always. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks, lady.